0: Here we go. We're live. What's up, everybody? My name My name is Luke Thomas. Camera's up in my grill. There we are. Uh, my name is Luke Thomas. This is the live chat. I'm back. I've been gone for three weeks. I've been on vacation. I haven't even been in the country. But I'm back now to do this live chat for you, for me, for the entire Mixed martial Arts community. Welcome. We'll do this for about one and a half hours. And um, Best place to get your questions in or your comments or your challenges, your pitches, your cribs, your smart-ass remarks. That's going to be on mmafighting.com. There's a post dedicated to this. That's the best place to get them in. If you're on YouTube, try to go there. If you're on Twitter, I will respond if you use the hashtag #ChatRappers. But the best place is on mmafighting.com. Today on the docket, lots to talk about. Obviously, UFC 178 is this weekend. Yesterday, the Nevada Athletic Commission hearing with John Jones, Daniel Formier, Mayweather, and of course, the basically the end of the career, of slowly but at least the end of the career, anywhere where there's regulated territory. Uh, and a whole lot more from what I missed. Diago Silva, Anthony Johnson, a couple of UFC Fight Pass shows. A bunch of stuff. A bunch of stuff happened while I was gone. I am happy to be back, and I'm happy to talk about all of it. Uh, obviously, comments on MMA fighting that turn green get the most um, attention. If you're watching this now, either live or whenever you see this space, or you hear my voice, be sure to share it on social media. put a link on from, from Stitcher, if you're on iTunes, if you're on YouTube. Let folks know. Tweet it out, Facebook it, Pinterest it, Instagram it, whatever you can do to help spread the word because your voice is as important as mine. Collectively, we make this bigger than it can be. Um, so I am happy to be back. I appreciate it very much. I was in Istanbul, Turkey for about 10 days. It was a uh, weird and wonderful place. I was ready to come back when it was over, though, because Istanbul is crazy busy. It's like a city of 11 million people, and there's you know millions of tourists at any one point, so it is always busy, always buzzing, and that can get to be a little much even though it's a wonderful place to visit. I recommend it. Lots of ISIS jokes. I don't know why you would make those because Istanbul is on the other side of the country from Syria. A, uh, is a European city, although half of it is in Asia, I suppose. Um, but no, I was not under threat of ISIS. I did not join ISIS. I did not recommend joining ISIS. It is only there. I was only there for vacacion. The Got my mug today, in case my wife is watching. Uh, and, of course, you know what this is. Gross, huh? Let's do this, though. Let's crack this open. Get this bad boy going, huh? All right. Um, oh, real quickly, before I uh, finish here, these announcements, um, one thing I wanted to tell you was I did a lot of thinking about the future of this chat while I was on vacation and what I'm absolutely committed to doing. And you know I've kept my word. It took me a little while to get it going, but I finally did it. You guys wanted this on iTunes and I put it there. You wanted it on Stitcher then I put it there. And various other podcasting platforms, be it uh, PodKicker or whatever the case may be. And I got a better microphone and stuff. Some of you have made, have made some other complaints. You know, the video camera is kind of static. What about some intro music? Can you record in a better quality? And the answer to all those questions is yes. And yes, we will. I'm absolutely committed to doing that. We're going to get a better recording quality. Although the mic is very good. But we're going to record on a higher quality on the, on the, MP, on the MP3 that we upload, we're gonna have multiple camera angles, we're gonna have intro music. Um, you know, I have to do all these things myself so I gotta figure it out a little bit, but it's gonna happen. And, so, and, and if you're an expert out there, and some of you have already reached out to me about it, if you're an expert out there in that kind of video streaming technology or how to record properly or all those things, email me, luke.thomas at SBNation.com, okay? Um, but I to promise to you, it's going to happen and you're gonna enjoy it. My goal is to get all that done before the end of the year. Multiple camera angles, higher recording quality, intro music, those kinds of things, okay? Let's begin. Uh, what is it with the heavyweights that they're able to fight into their late 30s and early 40s? Is it because the heavyweight division isn't too dependent on speed or are there other factors as well? If you look at the top 15 they're all above 30 excluding Stephen shrewd Why isn't there younger heavyweights getting into the game? Is it because they're drafted into other sports any other factors? again, any kind of these questions about the way in which a division um, is affected and built and developed and grown and, and manicured is going to have a variety of explanations. Certainly the fact that heavyweights thin generally, um, that these guys are in their teens and twenties recruited into other sports that are more lucrative and more popular is going to be one explanation. But I think more realistically if you've ever Seeing someone train who is at 135 pounds and then seeing someone train at 235 pounds. Um, the need for the kind of explosiveness and as you mentioned speed and, and and really more than that, durability not so much in taking punishment although that's important but physical durability, being able to train three times a day for six days a week and going and going and going. It's a much higher premium placed at the lower weight classes because they don't have things like power, because their opponents won't gas in the way that guys at heavyweight will. So if you're like Roy Nelson, if you're like Mark Hunt, and, and they're very good fighters, I don't mean it's in a disparaging way at all, um, they can get by on their power a little bit. They don't have to be able to scramble uh, like Justin Scoggins or, or you know Justin Ortiz for three rounds. It's not a way in which heavyweights compete. At least not the way in which heavyweights compete at this era of, of mixed martial arts. They don't have that kind of physical premium placed on them because they have other things that carry the day. Uh, I do think though if you have those things, like Kane Velasquez, you certainly have a competitive advantage, but they're hard to find. Um, so what do they always say? Power's the last thing to go. Arguably power is extremely important in MMA, especially relative to boxing. It's also more important at heavyweight than say, uh, bantamweight, which is to also to say if you have it at bantamweight, you have a huge advantage, but it's rare. You have to have a lot of other things there to succeed. Um, you know your current champ now takes several rounds to knock guys out. He doesn't have that one punch just to put you on your ass power that somebody like Mark Hunt or Roy Nelson or Junior dos Santos or other guys like that have. Um, so that's probably why they're able to use their physical gifts longer because those physical gifts are required on uh, you know the engine pumping like this all the time, and you need that at the lower weight classes badly, man. And you see that not just in MMA, you see it in Jiu-Jitsu too now. Or even in wrestling, which is to say, um, not that I, I don't know I, I, I don't know if there's any age breakdown of like amateur wrestling as it goes by weight classes, but I just mean from like anecdotal evidence from what I've seen, when you watch guys train in the wrestling room or you watch people roll in the jujitsu room, the the matches between lighter weight guys, man, they're really all over the place. Um, you can go look at who was it? Um, I could be wrong about this. Maybe or Bruno Malthusine you know, uh, just just wild back and forth. You know, you don't really get that. You get a little bit of that with the and Jodolfo Vieira, but not really. It's not, it's not, it, it's a little more compact, slow, um, and those kinds of things carry into physical longevity uh, a little a little bit easier. So I think it has to do with not cutting weight? Certainly that could be a factor as well. They don't constantly drain their bodies. Again, it's going to be a variety of explanations. The way in which people are recruited, the way in which their bodies are affected, um, the way in which their physical gifts have a longer shelf life in this kind of um, challenging sport. All those things are going to play a factor, but it's not ever going to be any one thing you can point to. Um, someone also says, the speed issue helps a lot, uh, Corey Braderman says, the speed issue all- helps as well. There's a dearth of talents of people like Congo, 39, Noguera, 38, Mir, 35. Are a ton off 34, although all those guys are on the decline. Uh Arlovsky, 35, which is a bit of an interesting issue. Nelson, 38, and so on, who are really all that phenomenal are still relevant in the top 20, 15, 10. Also, yes, if 230 plus a legit athlete is a real chance with football, basketball, or some of the sport as a child. All all of these are great. Someone says these are less reliant on speed, agility, and quickness reactions. That's true. Um, and then someone says also the age also excuse me, age also comes from the fact that heavyweights of combat sports generally aren't easily replaced. Most people that weight are obese, not athletic. So if many of them are already going into other sports, the old don't get picked off by the young. As you get lower in weight, you have more athletes to choose from. That is until you hit a line like 125. Maybe. Alright, so one says, with all the talk of UFC pay-per-view buys, are non-cable buys considered? I'm a cord cutter and have ordered pay-per-views via my Roku. I'm just curious as to how much of an impact this has. I would like to verify that. I do believe if you pay the full premium price for it, uh, no matter the format, you count because i actually purchasing a pay-per-view. Um, I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure that's correct. It's not just if you bought it from the MSOs, Direct TV, uh, um, Time Warner, something like that. I think even if you buy it from UFC.TV, that counts because you're paying the full premium price for the product. It could be. But even then, I'll, here's the point, though. Someone says he's a cord cutter. The demographic that the UFC appeals to, men, particularly young men, 18 to 34, or even 24 to 49, they're not heavy cord cutters. These are people much more likely to watch sports, which means they're much more likely um, to not cut cords. In fact, I saw the other day, I think AT&T came out with a package. You could get HBO Go, Amazon Prime, and, like, super-fast super broadband for a year for, like, 40 bucks a month. And I was like, that's a great offer, but until you get me live sports, like, cord cutting simply is not an option for me. And it just doesn't, I, it's just not there, you know. Um, and Fight Pass sort of bridges that gap a little bit, but not really. You'd miss all the Fox Sports 1 cards. You get the pay-per-view stuff. But there's a lot of content you simply wouldn't be able to get. So um, um, I'm not sure where I'm going with this because I'm, I'm meandering a little bit. But I guess the point being is, oh, right, cord cutters as such I purchased stuff from UFC pay-per-view, or UFC dot uh, TV, but not very much. It's, it's relative to the, the rest of who's purchasing, I would venture to say it's probably a very, very small portion, but certainly I can look into it if the is willing to divulge that information, which I doubt they are, but certainly I can, I can look into it just the same. Uh, There seems to be a divide of people who assume guilt and don't in domestic violence cases. Oh, here we go. This ought to be good, right? Both sides guilt the other, and it leads to an endless debate that actually doesn't address the overall issue. That said, the case of Anthony Johnson can be viewed two ways. There's been inconsistency to how how the allegations were reported and the evidence that is said to exist hasn't been presented. The other way is when there's smoke, there's fire. Also because of gender inequality issues in the U.S., Cases often go unreported. I'm curious as to your stance of what should be done with Johnson if no evidence presents itself. No one wants another Tiago. Great question. Uh, an important one just to say. Let me just say as a general rule to men out there because we, we took this topic on on the SiriusXM Fight Club on Monday. And had some very curious calls. Um, and some of them sort of centered on the fact that like, well we don't know what the evidence is against Johnson, you know, it's unfair that what's, what's happening to him because any woman can just go out there and make claims and you can ruin someone's life, at least temporarily, if not permanently. And I would submit to you that's just a load of BS. It's force S to the nth degree. Um, men, men of the world, listen to me now. You ready for this? Um, you want to avoid trouble like this? Find a nice, normal woman, which is, by the way, the overwhelming majority of them, and don't hit her. And you will most likely, and by that I mean 99.9% have no problems. Yes, there are evil people in the world. Yes, there are some people who are disturbed and will um, make accusations against you and they will bring trouble to your doorstep even when you don't deserve it. So from a statistical standpoint those things happen. But it's unbelievably rare, okay? It's super rare. I had it happen to somebody I knew one time and I've met a lot of women. And even then the case was a little murky. it's real simple to stay out of trouble. Find a nice normal woman, don't hit her, and you will never have to worry about this from a statistical standpoint. I'm sure there are counterexamples. There that will always be. But people worried about like this, this at any point a woman can go to the authorities and drag you into court or jail is just a paranoid fantasy among partial misogynists. It's really not the case. Okay? Start off. Now, as it relates to Anthony Johnson, um, here's what I would say. Listen, if he's innocent, uh, he'll get his chance. If this woman is reporting things falsely, and it's proven to be that case, I hope she suffers under the most tremendous penalty of the law. And, and I really do believe that. I feel like if you bring charges against somebody to in a in a um, in a uh, false way, in a malicious way, in a way to damage them, for for the sake of damaging them, irrespective of actual fault, you deserve to be prosecuted to the highest degree that the law can prosecute you because you're a terrible person. Um, But the UFC is in a very different position. It's not about whether or not they value women in a particular way although that should be, I'm not saying it's irrelevant, but it's not the most pressing consideration here. The biggest one is we don't know what the truth is with Anthony Johnson. Eventually we will find out. And it sucks if he is innocent that he has to suffer in the interim. However, if he is guilty of the things to which he is accused the UFC puts him out there as if to say, well listen, innocent until proven guilty, it would be a horrible look if he actually is found guilty and they let him compete the whole time. The UFC is doing the right thing by indefinitely suspending him, not cutting him, letting this process play out because they have to protect their brand. They have to protect their letters if he is found guilty or or made to look bad even through some sort of process of innocence Um, and he is attached to their brand, and had competed the whole time, that is a disastrous look for them. A disastrous. And this whole idea of, well, he hasn't been found guilty of anything, that, that's the case for everybody who's arrested. You're always innocent until proven guilty. That's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. It's not about whether he is actually guilty or innocent. It's about letting the process play out and protecting themselves by distancing themselves in the interim, which is exactly what they did. It was exactly the right call. Uh, I think they completely botched the Tiago Silva situation but they're getting this one right. I feel for Anthony Johnson if he's innocent it's unfortunate that this thing has happened to him if he's innocent but if he's not and the UFC went ahead and pretended like it didn't exist and booked him for fights that would be fairly substantial damage to the brand, one which they are currently not in a position to absorb. So, says I think the UFC made the right move. The indefinite suspension gives the UFC time to think on it see whether any, any new evidence may emerge they messed up with Tiago, deciding way too quick to bring him back. They took it slow on this one, and rightly so. Certainly, I could not endorse that anymore. Uh, uh, a prudent, thoughtful take that doesn't go too far in cutting him, but doesn't allow him to compete and creates a distance between Johnson and the brand is exactly what they have to do, and is exactly what they did, and it is exactly the right move to make. One says, uh, I didn't get a chance to see anything. Thoughts on Chris Honeycutt and his performance last weekend. If you guys saw them, I, I was on, as you know, I was gone. I did not get a chance to see it. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I, I saw the result that he won, but I don't. I didn't visually take a look at it. This is a long one. Thoughts on Vanderlay's career. No doubt that Vanderlei Silva is one of the most entertaining fighters of all time but does the fact that he ran from a drug test make you look differently on his career? You know what's funny is you had all those commissioners grandstanding yesterday like running from a test is worse than failing a test. I'm not so sure that it is and nor was it explained why that it was. It just sort of said it was over and over emphatically as if it was self-evidentiary and I I don't know or self-evident I should say and I don't know why that's the case but whatever assuming that they believe that. His career is interesting, man. You know, I've talked about it on this chat before in a different way, which is to say getting into the fight game, um, you come in, especially these elite guys, and and certainly Vanderlei has been elite for a very long time. They come in full of vinegar and piss, man, and they make a roar. And um, but you leave on a stretcher, man. You leave having the young ones chew you to pieces. Uh, It's very, very hard to exit the game in a glorious way. George St. Pierre has come about as close as anybody in our lifetime, and even he, I thought, lost that Hendrix, so fight, You know, but he still retained his title, bowed out, and, and uh, had strong sympathy and adoration for his career and, and for him still. So that's one of the better ways I've seen it, but that was hardly, I you know, textbook. Um, Vanderlei, you know, it's funny. So my point being is his... The end of his career seems largely, although he had indicated injuries played a part, and there's no doubt that that has to be true, but I guess I would say. Um, hold on, let's keep it in here. Hold on. Um, I would say that um, even though the end of his career is administrative, it still proves that exiting the fight game by hook or bar crook is very difficult to do well. And then he put up that, I only watched that video yesterday, or Monday. If, if, if Monday. Yeah, only Monday did I watch that retirement video that he put out where he accused the UFC of all manner of things. But I mean, could you, could you, like, could you imagine a worse way to get your point across than, than that? It's like, I, I actually believe that some of what Silva said was true and based on reality, and it will go nowhere because of the, the timing and the way in which it was released, and the obfuscation of all the problems that he's having related to his current predicament. But the truth is, man, anyone who knows about Vanderlei Silva knows that these issues plagued him, uh, at least insofar as rumor and innuendo when he was in Japan. Um, everyone believed, you know, I will not say everyone, but there was wide speculation that that was a big part of his training work before, his performance-enhancing drug use. And certainly he never failed a test. I'm not saying that he did, I'm simply acknowledging what was around. Um, but in a way, it's almost like the chickens came home to roost. You know, you know, you ran for the commission, you admitted you took a performance enhancing drug, all these those sorts thing, and then you lash out the UFC without having ever said anything before. It's a totally ignoble way to to, to close a, 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 a what would have been a hall of fame career otherwise, and maybe still is. But I guess his story is I don't know. His story is. He represents so many different facets of the sport, re- of the sport itself. He represents part of the PED struggles. He represents the ferocity and some of the things that we love. He represents multiple eras of the sport. He represents the Valle Tudo era. He represents the the pride era. He represents the new UFC. Um, he, Vanderlei Silva, the story of mixed martial arts played out in Vanderlei Silva over the course of his career. And so he was very much a reflection of what was going on at the time in which he competed. Not all of it, but many... Key considerable parts about it, and um, so I think his story is very much a story of the sport. But the way in which it ended, I think there were undercurrents of speculation the whole the whole time of his career, particularly in Japan, and that it finally came out. And actually, what caught him in the end, it sort of feels like Al Capone getting caught for it's not quite the same as Al Capone getting caught for tax uh, evasion, but I don't know that the things that 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 something that had never he had never been caught by, but may have may have always been a part of his experience, or at least a long part of his experience ultimately is what caught him in the end. Um, it's interesting. It's interesting. That That's sort of my take on Vanderlei's career, but what he did in Pride, you know, boy, that's, that's impossible to duplicate. Um, one of the key stars, key rivalries, key fights, some of the most important fights in the history of the sport, certainly in the light heavyweight division, um, yeah, that's the story of Vanderlei's career. But, you know, when you have to get, when your face looks different, you have to get surgery to repair it. Um, I do believe that some of the things he mentioned, irrespective of the charges against the Ultimate to the fighting championship, um, they probably carry some merit. And by the way, there was one thing I wanted to note about that. Like, I know some folks are out there and they're saying, well, he never said anything. You know, like, to come out and just say it on a Friday, and you, you were all gung-ho about the fight with Shale Sonnen, and you never articulated these issues. I, I I'm sympathetic to that viewpoint. I think it's a fine argument, but the argument is a little flawed too because if you get guys that constantly do it well in advance in real time like Rampage Jackson, like Tito Ortiz, um, and to a lesser extent you know maybe in a more cagey way sort of like Randy Couture, well, they just call you a crybaby and a loser. So like, when is the opportune time if you're a fighter to criticize the UFC? How do you do it? and who do you gotta be for that to stick? The most I've seen is with George St. Pierre. His reputation was basically Sterling. And even then, there was pushback. So this idea that, well, Vanderlei never said anything, I agree with you, that that makes accepting whatever he said very, very difficult, especially on the heels of this terrible um, fall from grace that he's experiencing. I, there I would not question that at all. But the argument that, well, he never said anything, is belied by the fact that when you do say things in advance, in real time, you're still dismissed. So there's a little bit of a problem there in terms of how grievances against the Ultimate Fighting Championship are uh, received by the fan base and by others. And I mean, you know, you won't talk about a way to not make an impact. That's the way to do it, manually. Someone says. Um, Running is worse than failing because running from a test is a direct attack on the authority of the commission. So is taking a drug. They tell you you can't do it. Taking one is giving them the finger. But all, all of them are a uh, attempt to subvert the regulations by which they put before you. And I suppose if you submit to the test, you know that's slightly more uh, committed to the process. But even then. Not if you've taken masking agents like many of these guys have. All of it is subversion. Someone says, just wanted to hop in and say that I'm happy to be called Donk again. Told to stay frosty. That's what I'm here for. Thank you for joining me. Heavyweight division. The heavyweight division is a fun uh, mess right now with no clear-cut hierarchy of contenders. Do you think we'll, who? Do you think will be next? To, who do you think will be next in line? Miocic probably. I definitely think Miocic if he beats Junior dos Santos will be put up. Um, if he wins against JDS, 100%. Does Mark Hunt need one more or do you think he just to give him a title shot already? Definitely needs one more, but I can understand um, if the UFC is shorthanded, they can make that work. Would Struve be right there with a good performance? No. With his health issues and his layoff, they're going to want to see a body of work that he puts together before they move in that direction. Um, has a win over and lost its worth over the last two years? Oh, has it ever? <laughs> has it ever? My God, I mentioned it on a Ariel show on the last MMA hour that I did, I think on um, the eighth, maybe. Namely, that like I do believe that that as a as a kickboxer, if all chins were equal, and they're not, but if all chins were equal, I do believe that uh, Alistair Overeem is better than these guys by far. I do think he's a much more talented guy. But the, but the ability to absorb damage um, is such a key component of success at heavyweight, among other things, obviously. But it's so crucial. It's so inherent to success. And if you can't do it or it's been compromised and you used to do it and you built a certain way of fighting around that, you're in trouble, man. You're in trouble. And um, I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know if he can beat True. I mean, I well, let me take a step back. I know that he can beat True. I don't know that he will. I don't really know what... It, The ability of Overeem to do well is not in question. The ability of Overeem to do things consistently most certainly is. Uh, Let's see. How do you feel about the video Vandele released and his reasons and accusations? Again, sort of covered that a little bit here. Um, I just want to, if you're going to come out and you're going to say all these things you never said before, God, did you pick a horrible, horrible time and way to do. Um, unbelievable. I will say one thing he said that I hadn't thought of that I thought was a fair point. I don't take back what I said about Henan morale that he didn't fulfill the terms of his independent contract with the UFC um, as an independent contractor and so therefore not paying him I I, I was not terribly upset with. On the other hand, I did think that Van Ville made a good point. Now he was wrong, it wasn't six months, it was seven months, but fighting three times in that because they need you for that kind of calendar. I'm I'm relatively sympathetic to that. I thought that was a decent point that Vanderlei made. It wasn't about himself, it was about somebody else, that he got dragged out, and barrauded, and paraded as this loser who had let everyone down. I I can see why um, had was upset about that. Uh, Whether he's trying to use that as a reason for how he came across on The Ultimate Fighter and whether that's fair is a separate argument. I'm simply saying, as the argument I made to you guys about Hanna Brown not getting paid, I thought Vanderlay's twist on that was at least worth acknowledging, and sort of undercuts my argument a little bit. Although not at the end, like I mean, if you sign the contract, like it may be an unreasonable term, but you shouldn't be agreeing to unreasonable terms. Now that leads to another debate about. So um, someone had said to me, "Well, of course, Henan Burak would want a rematch. Why wouldn't he want a rematch? He just lost his title. He wants a rematch. Why? Would, why should he be complaining about that?" Complaining about the rematch seems to me, um, no, I don't think you'd be complaining about the rematch at all, but maybe the timing of it was not necessarily ideal. Certainly that was part of Vanderlei's claim that he has a certain way he likes to do things. I would say that someone of that caliber and that age had probably earned the right to have things like that on his schedule. Remember, with the UFC, the train is always leaving the station, and yet they have so many guys on roster. I think so I read, only 25% fight three times or more. A year. The rest don't. And, and I'm, I'm betting that the 25%, although they didn't get a chance to go this far, but um, if you're popular, they need you more often, especially in this year when you've got Wyman injured, Velasquez injured, Pettis injured, MB and B.M. Jones injured and everything else, you know. They need you out there constantly, constantly, constantly. That is, that is a difficult thing to do. It's a very, very difficult thing to do. So, um, but, you know, as it relates to Vandaly making the argument, it's just like, oh, my God. Uh, also, how do you feel about his fine and lifetime ban? Um, fine. I have no issue with. Lifetime ban, I guess. Uh, what, I mean, I don't really care. Uh, I understand you don't avoid a test, with well, the amount of times Chellis has cheated and been caught, does it not make sense to ban him as well or belt? or well, That's the other thing. What is worse, running from a test or going before the commission, failing a test or having issues with them anyway, and then going back and doing it again in an even more flagrant way? all all of that is giving the finger to the commission. I don't sort of see one as more materially um, a bigger issue than the other. Remember, the the Nevada Athletic Commission will always grandstand what counts and what matters to them. You had Mayweather going in there being like, we were smoking fake pot, and that that scene you saw was totally edited for TV, which, by the way, throwing Showtime completely under the bus, which I thought was hilarious. And then making up this cockamamie, ridiculous excuse. I mean, yes, I'm sure some of that was edited for a dramatic effect. I'm sure all of it was true, or a key chunk of it. And he's going in there and just saying it's all fake. And they're going, there. Well, Mr. Mayweather, you've certainly acquitted yourself nicely. Coincidentally, you have two more fights you intend to fulfill for your Golden Boy, or I should say your Mayweather promotions, a Showtime contract that brings Vegas a lot of money when you compete at the MGM Grand. So we're going to say, you know what? Thank you so much for your candor. And willingness to come before this commission and say such uh, illuminating, uh, exculpatory things. God bless you. Have a nice day. Now you two pushing each other on a stage. We're also not going to railroad your fight, but we're going to make a look like we're real mad at you. Ah, yes. But this 38-year-old man who um, has formally retired from fighting. Yeah, we're going to ban you from competing because it doesn't cost us anything to do that. They will always grandstand when they can, and when they can't they won't because they are in the service of the state. That is who they serve, the governor. Um, All right. Someone says, um, so 70K being 35% of his base pay for what would have been his next fight. Granted it wasn't Mayweather money, but it is way above the norm. Are comparisons against other mainstream sports, which we've established in MMA isn't, fair. Um, I don't want to get into that. We've talked about that a lot. Let's wait till Fighter Pay is back in the issue again. You know. Whatever. Someone says, um, KJ Gould, in fact, said seems uh, that Vanderlei's punishment seems inconsistent um, a little bit, versus the comparative wrist smacking they gave, giving Vitor Belfort, who's a much worse documented offender. Yeah. <laughs> You mean to tell me, you know, you're going in there telling a bunch of, uh, at best, strained truths, um, crying, you know, crying in front of the commission after you've already popped positive one time? What's worse? Running from a test or doing that? I, I, again, I fail to see materially how one is worse than the other. They're both pretty bad. Nate's return. Do you think that Nate returned under the same terms and conditions of his old contract or his higher pay when the reasons he came back? Um, I have not heard that he got a new contract. I cannot confirm that, but I have not heard that this is a new deal. Uh, it may be, but I don't. I'm, I'm, that's not nuclear to me. Nick Diaz, I think, got a new deal, but I don't think that Nate did. Um, but don't hold me to that. Uh, or is higher pay, one of the reasons he can't hire is how uh, of those angels too much too soon? No, I think that's probably the, the right kind of fight that he wants. High-level contender um, on a roll. Guy just beat Ben Henderson. If you can beat him, you can do a lot of things. So, I think it's exactly the kind of opponent that that Nate Diaz would get up for. Not you know some guy between five and ten. He wants guys between one and three. both well, does Lorenzo has already confirmed that the contract hasn't been altered whatsoever? Yeah, there you go. Um, which I believe, actually, unfortunately. I guess at some point he just gave up, you know. Again, my stand on Diaz was that if he was willing to accept these terms, uh, and by those I don't mean the terms of the contract, I mean the terms of not competing, um, then that was a stand that i you you know, he, he that, they, that there's nothing wrong with that inherently. Like, it's arguing, well, he should fight. Well, if he doesn't want to under those conditions, even if you sign him and thought they were made in bad faith, he shouldn't have to, but, you know, I guess he didn't care that much in the end. You make up the Cormier Jones Community Service Hours. Cormier gets half the amount of community service as Jones, 20 hours. And it's eligible to be done in San Jose, whereas Jones has to do 40 hours all within Nevada. Um, yeah, well, I don't think it's great. Uh, yeah, here's John Nash. Contract hasn't been changed at all, and he didn't get a bonus bump or any other discretionary locker room bonus. There you go. So, you know, if you're going to make a stand, I certainly understand that, and I, you know, quote-unquote support you in a sense, but, you know, what was he going to do, I guess? Uh, all right, so for Jones, yeah, that was interesting. Uh, on the one hand, I certainly see a case to be made to to flesh out responsibility. I can see certain cases where um, uh, a stare-down could go poorly and one person is clearly more at fault than the other, and then it's worth sort of examining that and then... And then Handing out punishments on that level, but um, this seemed to be one where the parsing of that was like the most moronic exercise ever. Well, he put his head on mine first, and I decided that that wasn't great, so I pushed, and then the other guy saying, "Well, that was you know we can't put your hands on me," so I, I mean, this this was I mean, like you're both completely and entirely culpable for this monstrosity in different ways and in ways not so different at all trying to parse it out as like, well, what is the value of putting your forehead on mine versus a push, versus pushing Schaller out of the way, it's just ridiculous. Like, they both probably deserve an even amount of punishment, maybe Jones slightly more, but I don't even think so. To me, it's basically 50-50. Um, you know, Cormier has pushed opponents in the past. Uh, Pat Cummins, one of them. I like both guys, you know, um, but, you know, I just thought that exercise was like, oh, my God, like, can we please get over this already? Just find him and give the community service. It will affect Jones a little bit, right, because um, he has to do this during his camp. So if I were him, I'd just knock it out right away. I'd find it something to do super quick, do it now, and then go back and then train, find a way to train in Las Vegas, bring the people with you, and, and figure it out, man, because I would not put that off at all. or you know, Or maybe do it at the very end. It's more like your media tour on Fight Week or something, right? But, um, yeah, it's, a, it's certainly a competitive advantage for Daniel Formula. At, the, at a very minimum. Someone says, Jones was the guy who looked worse in the media. Quote, I would literally kill you. And he was the guy to throw punches and shove Dave out of the way. He escalated twice. I don't know. I mean, maybe. By the way, Jones always looks worse in the media. <laughs> Fair or unfair, he always looks worse in the media. That like, especially against Daniel Cormier, that's not a particularly like novel thing for him. But whatever, I just thought it was like, well, what what does it mean to put your hands on someone and you know we've got history and it was heated and what did you say on your Fox Sports thing? It's like, oh uh, my like God. Nevada Athletic Commission is like the worst. It's like the worst um, DMV in the world, man. It's like this is what you gotta do to get your license. Ugh. Can you imagine going to the DMV. You know, did you clean your car the last time you had one? Did you pick your sister up from school like you promised, Mr. Thomas? Can I? Can I just take this driving test and then be done here? Or are you going to moralize and lecture me like old people do? Um, Someone says, it didn't end up as a brawl, but does everyone forget about uh, Cormier, and Patrick Cummins? There you go. That was unprovoked. It was also likely staged, but the whole history of bullying thing seems a bit too convenient. Again, we're just getting into, like, how many angels fit on the head of a pin. They're both culpable. Hand them out either similar or identical punishments. and Let's just be done with it. It's that whole thing went on so long. Uh, vacation. What is the one story in MMA you were itching to cover but didn't because you want a well-deserved pre baby vacation with your wife? Question. Um, that Tiago Silva thing. Boy was that mishandled. I mean, whoa was that mishandled. Um, hard to imagine how you could have done that worse. Except leaving Tiago on after the video comes out. That, I mean literally coming on national TV, defending him by, by saying, well, I know more about the situation than you. Does that mean he knew about those videos? I can't imagine that he did, because if he did, then he wouldn't have said that, I would imagine. But you're bragging that you know more than everyone else, but yet there's a whole other side of the story that you don't that is in no way exculpatory. In fact, it's damning. Um, so I don't know really I understand that at all. Moreover, like in, the, in this Ray Rice climate, you have to be super careful about everything, which should be the case at all times, but is the case now. And and bringing him back, you don't really need him on your roster. I mean, I suppose like you do if you have all these shows, but you don't otherwise need him. He's not like, you know, St. Pierre or Silva or something. Um, and, you know, following what happened, I mean, like, it was so, it was so badly mishandled. So badly mishandled. Um... Like I said, I thought they got Anthony Johnson right. I thought they uh, I thought they did a good job with that, and they're doing a good job with that. And maybe they learned from the Tiago Silva one, but like, you know, saying, "Well, I know more than you," and then, and then even saying, "Like, oh, if there's video evidence, you know, that changes things." I don't I don't know why that I don't know why Chicago Silva's estranged wife or ex-wife, whatever she is at this point, released those videos. Is it because White said those things, or because she had planned to anyway? But either way. I mean, talk about tempting fate, talk about tempting karma, that's exactly what happened. Like, why would you say something like that? Why would you bring him back at all? Why would you not investigate further and wait to see what happened? I mean, I understand charges being dropped. Charges are dropped all the time for all kinds of reasons Not that don't always have to do with guilt or innocence. They can be dropped for any number of reasons. And certainly those videos show that this guy, and I saw some MMA fans being like, oh, I don't understand what the big deal is. This is literally, I read this when I was in Istanbul and I wanted to die laughing, almost in a sad way. There were fans who were going, I swear to God, they said, I don't understand what the deal is. You know, it's not like he said, I'm going to kill you. He just cocked a gun and was rubbing his nose a little bit and talking a little strange. What's the big deal? It's like, I don't understand what the problem is with these people in Sierra Leone. Um, It's not like they said, I'm going to give you Ebola. They just had blood shooting out of their eyes and uh, lost control of their bowels and had fever over 105. What's the big deal? I mean, I mean, you know, how how, how obtuse do you have to be to say something like that? I understand what the big Well, you know, it wasn't like he had a gun in her mouth. Or you know, it wasn't like he was hanging her over a balcony like should Knight and Vanilla Ice, trying to get you heard a sign over a record deal. Uh, I mean, one of the all-time low points in MMA fandom, right there. If you ask me, just, clu- just cluelessness, absolute cluelessness. Um, but anyway, they did the right thing. Ultimately, when the video came out to the surprise of apparently a legion of MMA fans who don't understand why those videos could be problematic in the media in the incidents of War Machine and Ray Rice, maybe that might be a liability for you if you want a billion dollar organization and there's video of your, one of your light heavyweights um, who appears to be in some form or another intoxicated or feeling your effects of drugs while holding a firearm uh, and speaking gibberish at best. I mean maybe I'm just thinking the long-term here, MMA fans, maybe that wouldn't be the best decision in the world, to keep him on after those videos surfaced. But bringing him back at all just seemed terribly unnecessary. All right. UFC 178 title shots. In your eyes, what do the following fighters have to do this weekend to earn a title shot immediately following their 178 fight? Earn a finish, dominate three rounds, win in any fashion. Okay, let's go down the list here. One, Dominic Cruz. I think two things have to happen with Dominic Cruz. First of all, he's gotta win in not just a dominant way, but he needs to look mobile. He needs to have that signature footwork where he's charging in, charging out, changing angles, getting Mizugaki confused, picking them apart. I don't even think he needs a finish so long as Mizugaki just looks completely outclassed. On top of that, that itself is not enough. But if he can or it might be enough, but I think what would really seal the deal because if he has a performance like that, finish would be nice, but more importantly, that mobility, that level change, and mixing enough, that, that that trunk movement that Cruz is really known for, and then on top of that, get on the mic, and then calling out T.J. Dillashaw, getting on the mic and saying, I never lost that title. It's mine now. You're keeping a war from me, T.J. Dillashaw. This is our chance. So a, a lobbying campaign to match you to the performance. I think those two things will do that. But if he wins nicely, and then comes out and says, you know whatever's next for me, I'll just blah blah blah. blah. Or he wins okay, and then goes in the lobbying campaign. I don't know. I feel like he really has to have that one two punch to seal the deal. Kat Zingano. Um, um Kat Zingano. That's a good question. I don't. I don't have it. I don't think she has it in her to call out Rousey exactly. Um. I don't think she can get one off this one. I mean, again, maybe maybe if all the only issue is availability, but from a meritorious standpoint, I just don't think it's available to her. Conor McGregor, same thing. Even if I think he wins in a tremendous fashion, I just don't. Until you beat one of those like hard-nosed wrestlers, you know. I know Lamas has a fight coming up, but if he was available, fighting Lamas to me would be a much more telling kind of thing. Um, and Eddie Alvarez putting away Don Cerrone, he was on a hell of a streak. I think that'll do it. You know, with all the sort of intrigue about how he looks and. UFC debut and all that other kind of stuff, I think just putting away Cerrone would be enough because I don't think he needs to get on the microphone. Different in this particular case than Dominic Cruz. Pushing McGregor too fast. What are your thoughts on the big step up in competition for McGregor? If McGregor loses on Saturday, how much do you think it hurts to his stock? Uh, let's see, hang on. Hang on, y'all. I'm a one man band here. Uh, okay. No, I actually feel like Conor McGregor is one of the best things the UFC has ever done, to be honest. Um,. I look at Conor McGregor, even if he loses on Saturday, as like, do you want to see what happens when you have someone who is ready to be a star and a promotion who understands everything he needs to fulfill that and the two get together and they work along? That's what Conor McGregor is with the UFC right now. I have nothing bad to say about the way in which the UFC has promoted Conor McGregor, has treated Conor McGregor, has made fights for Conor McGregor, I mean for him, I don't mean for him to win necessarily, but you know what I mean, the, the various people he's put in front of him, the cards on which he's fought, the way in which the card placement worked, all of that, I think all of that has been done exactly correct. I have not won I mean you could nitpick at the margins I suppose, but uh, from a general macro perspective, Conor McGregor has been handled expertly and Conor McGregor has treated his own career expertly. Um, and I don't think if he loses, that all backfires. Uh, it certainly doesn't help the momentum, but it, it's not like it goes away what he's producing, the, the enthusiasm that is there. He has youth on his side. He has the ability to self-promote on his side. He is clearly, has clearly has demonstrated some level of ability to compete at a very high level. How far, we don't know. Certainly Saturday will tell us some, some indication. But the Poirier matchup is interesting to me, and I'm firmly in the camp that, that McGregor's going to win. I don't, don't rule out the case that at all. I respect Dustin Poirier tremendously. I enjoy talking to him when I've covered UFC events. He's a very, very nice guy from humble beginnings who has made um, a very successful career for himself. And I think even if he loses on Saturday, he'll still have some great wins ahead of him in this division. And listen, yeah. he may surprise everyone, including me. But the way in which they're building up Conor McGregor, I think what they see is that we've got this guy who is already... You can take him out the wrapper, and he's a promotional dream come true. That is not their issue. Their issue is he has some skill building to do. Um, Now, one of his losses via promotion is to this guy who's competed all over Europe, particularly Cage Warriors, who's got a real gimmicky style. He's one of these like Masakazu Imanari guys, who if he can't get a sub right away, particularly on his leg locks, he likes knee bars, he likes um, heel hooks, then he can be pounded out. He's got a really suspect record. Uh, the other one, not so much, uh, but the point being is, as good as his boxing is, as good as his kickboxing is, and his wrestling's coming along, um, we don't know much about his guard, because he has been a whole lot of time there. The point being is, I think what the matchmaker saw was that if we give this guy time to develop, we can kill two birds with one stone. On the one hand, we can give him ever-increasing quality of opposition. We can give him ever-increasing um, placement on a card, which in turn an increasing emphasis on him to then promote it as well as himself, but we can do it so strategically that we're not doing sleight of hand exactly but we are giving him uh, favorable enough matchups that allow him to skill build and then showcase those skills in real time. And by that I mean, if Dustin Poirier gets bigger to the ground I think it's a very, very even fight. I'd probably even favor Poirier. But I think McGregor's on defense has come a long way um, and I think the difference is that Poirier is hittable and he's hittable early and he's excitable early and McGregor feasts on guys like that. If if Poirier is, is to beat McGregor it's to take him late. It's not to barnstorm him early. That would be a disastrous thing to do. And I'm afraid that's what Poirier might do. So like do I think that Poirier can beat McGregor? Absolutely. Jab, cross, Stay out of the way, stay out of trouble, no crazy moves. Have a boring first round if you have to. Slowly turn up the heat in the second round, and in the third round, that's when you barnstorm him. But coming out against him in the first round, barnstorming him is a horrible idea, and I'm afraid that's what Poirier likes to do. He's so excitable. I am certain that in his mind, he can absolutely beat Conor McGregor, true or untrue. And so, my point being is, if you look at the guys who he's fought, you know, uh, from Brimage to to Holloway, to um, Brandao, to now Poirier. It's a steady climb in overall quality of opposition, but they've always given him guys that if he fights correctly and uses his ability, he should be able to beat. That won't always be the case. Um, if they had just rushed him, let's say, right in, like, I think Justin Scoggins, by the way, the hype, and I, I, I'm, I'm guilty of this, kinda outmatched his ability. He's still sort of putting it all together. I think he'll eventually be one of the best flyweights ever, if not a title holder, but he's still got some work to do for McGregor, man. They have timed it perfectly and maybe the injury was the best thing to help him form in terms of slowing things down and not trying to rush it Um, and that, you know, a rehab, you can do a lot of skill building, not just to getting your knee back ready and the integrity of that knee, but in terms of just sharpening up everything else and everything else, I think that really is a a true, actual thing and so for me, um, losing on Saturday would be problematic but not catastrophic, and a win, I don't think he gets him a title shot, but it puts him in a number one contender's fight, certainly. And also, the other thing it does, like now that McGregor has headlined his own card in Dublin and is on a main card here on a pay-per-view, like, he's ready to do all the media stuff. He's ready to do um, get in front of cameras and talk to the fans and, and, and do a, a radio tour on the phone for five hours a day, five days a week, you know, in the fight the five days leading up to an event, he can do all those things, which is a tax on the mind that other guys aren't capable of, of handling, it's not very well. Um, he can do it flatly, easy, no problem. Um, could, there con- could there be a non-disclosure uh, clause in Nate's contract not allowing Nate to publicize if it is better? Anything's possible, but I don't know. Uh, Let's see. Someone says, what do you think of Kang Kyung Ho versus Michinori Tanaka? I have not seen the undercard for that yet. I have heard that it is incredible. Um, At least that fight, so I plan on looking. I watched the main card for that. I have not seen... uh, I have not seen the other ones. Yet. So I, I will take a look, but I've heard that, that fight was uh, in particular quite good. I expected Tanaka to win, though. I was surprised he didn't. World Series of Fighting's promise of 50% of pay-per-view revenue of the fighters. It seems good at first, but are they just giving the fighters 50% of the money made from pay-per-view buys alone, or are they including the gate, the merchandise and the night, and the ad money of the night as well? First of all, I'll believe they go to pay-per-view when I see it, number one. Number two, um, will the fighters still be getting Done over in a way. The cost for promoting an event is high, but wouldn't the money an organization would get back from the ads on the night, let alone the ads during promotion and merchandise, equal what they spent on promotion, or at least make back, make back a sizable portion? Ads on the night do not cover their costs. Have you seen their sponsors? World Series of Fighting will also have rerun deals and ad revenue from them. So if they're keeping the money from everything else and just giving the fighters half of what they make on the pay-per-views, will so the fighters still end up getting done over? Um, Adam Swift, who works over at Access TV, very smart guy, had an interesting thought. He said, um, all things being equal, and we, we're making a bunch of assumptions here, but um, if you looked at so, so what is the highest that non-UFC pay-per-views have ever done? See, the the basement for UFC, and then the ceiling is about 100K, right? So that's what Bellator was able to do. That's what UFC does, does It does very poorly. That 100K mark. So let's assume it does 100K in series of finding, right? Which is a big assumption, but let's just say they right they line up the right card to get that done. Um, if there has been some math done, and it's all based on incomplete information, but if we take that just for this thought experiment, that the UFC roughly pays out 20% of revenue to its fighters. Um, I think in anything above 200k, right? 200k buys. That if the if welterweights are fighting, gave 50% of their revenue on a 100k buy rate, and the UFC gives away 20%, that would be the same as if the UFC sold 450k on pay-per-view, right? That's 20% versus 50%. Rate in terms of how things have been structured. I think I have his tweet. Hold on. I want to pull that out. I want to make sure I got that. I think I'm leaving out of detail. Um, here we go. Here we go. He says World Series of Fighting 50% pay per view pitch is interesting. Assume UFC pays roughly 20% of revenue above 200K buys at a minimum and 100K is the ceiling for a non-UFC pay-per-view, right? So, okay, I got that part right. It means the payoff for fighters on a 450K by UFC pay-per-view would be the same on a 100K by World Series of Fighting pay-per-view, all other things being equal. That And he says, uh, ultimately, World Series of Fighting slash UFC pay-per-view hypothesis obviously depends on what UFC's average split is, and I admittedly didn't put a lot of work into my assumption. He's just sort of like spitballing here. But the point being is, one, if that, if, if what World Series of Fighting is promising is true, it's a substantial amount of money for fighters, all, th- all things being equal, and given what they otherwise be capable of making. But I would say that giving 50% of your revenue to fighters is simply unsystem. Like, it's just a very World Series of Fighter thing to do, where the inmates run the asylum. Like, I, I, I um, I'm okay with UFC giving up 50% of their revenue because they're in a position to do that. World Series of Fighting, it's like. When you're in that particular margin of the business, you know giving away that much requires you to earn enough for that to happen. I simply don't think that they do. Um, so you know, I'm listen. I'm the first to be fighter friendly, but pardon me. But I just don't feel like the math really adds up for them, and I, I don't. I I have my doubts about whether or not they're going to make it to pay per view. To be honest. Uh, YouTube views for Countdown 178. Do you find it telling that as of this morning, the YouTube views for the Countdown videos are Johnson Carriasso, about 81,000, Cerrone versus Alvarez, 105,000, and then McGregor versus Poirier 175,000. And this person goes on to say, I'm guessing only the hardcores watch the Countdowns on YouTube, but even they are overwhelmingly more interested in McGregor than the main event, or the main, or, or even Alvarez's debut. Um, I would say, listen, 175 is a very interesting. Or me, I should say, 178 is a very interesting card. And the reason why is that, take away the main event for just a moment—not the original one, but the one we have now—the the, the Johnson versus Karyaso fight. The rest of the 175 card. Now, for me, the five-pass portion not that great, but whatever—it's the five-pass portion. The rest of that card is great. It's really, really great. Okay, and so to me. What winds up happening is that when you look at the card absent the main event, it's like fantastic. Then what winds up happening is the main event being tacked onto it, it's almost viewed as a bonus. This is a card that's anchored from the bottom up and not the top down. In previous efforts where Johnson was the headliner from day one, um, as a promotional entity, we know he's not necessarily a fan favorite. And so I think there was sort of this, like, lackluster feel about it. This is exactly the opposite. This is a card bolstered so strong by the supporting cast that you're able to then look at the main event, which is not competitive and doesn't feature a fight people care about tremendously, and you could say, hey, you know what? Listen, you get this whole card and you and get Demetrius Johnson, one of the best fighters in the world. Maybe not so much than the best fight ever and a fight we particularly care about, but hey, you get all this other stuff. This is just a bonus. This is a hell of a way to have a substitute. This is like an ideal circumstance for the UFC. This is one of those cases where injury has affected the overall ability of a card to sell. I don't deny it at all. But I do want to say, sort of arguing from a fan standpoint, everyone's like injuries ruin cards. They do and then they don't. You know? They do a lot of times. A lot. I mean, Obviously, you can list a 1,000 examples of injuries ruining cards. But it's also true. It's also true that if you accept the idea that a certain number of fights every year will be blown out because of injury and you create cards to uh, counter that as an insurance policy when injuries do happen and you lose the most anticipated fight of the year in John Jones versus Daniel Cormier you still have a high level of enthusiasm um, for an event because the rest of the supporting cast has made a lack an otherwise lackluster main event simply a bonus fight that we get to enjoy without much consternation. Now, I don't dispute that this fight will, this event will do less than what Jones-Cormier will do. I don't think it'll do catastrophically low, um, and and I think you'll have sown the seeds of loyalty and fan sentiment by building such a strong supporting cast, a memorable night. And then placing Demetrius Johnson in a role where I know we had all talked about him like, oh man, how's he going to cover for Jones Cormier? The truth is, he can't. But if he gets out of the way a little bit, lets the rest of that show do the talking for him, like McGregor Poirier, like Alvarez Cerrone, and many other fights, Dominic Cruz, the return of Cazigano, a bunch of things, you um, Romero, Tim Kennedy, then he gets to ride along a little bit rather than being the guy who's sort of leading the charge and letting fans say, oh, I'm disappointed. It's a much better way for things to go and prove that injuries, they can affect cards. There's no doubt about it that it will, but was the card ruined because of an injury? No, it was not. You see Robbie Lawler as being more or less competitive in the Hendricks rematch. I wonder about that. On the one hand, my inclination is to say yes. On the other hand, I do wonder how much the bicep injury affected Hendricks the first time. I thought the Hendricks that fought St. Pierre looked much better, crisper, more aggressive than the one who fought Lawler. Um, even though the one who fought L- Lawler was still aggressive and had, had a consistent level of output, I don't know. I I, I'm, I, am, I haven't thought much about it. I know that, that, that the fight has now been uh, pushed forward to December 6th at UFC 181, but um, it's a good question. It's a good question. I certainly feel like Robbie, he's such a boxer, you know. I feel like he does need to mix it up a little bit, though. Um, and I thought he was getting torn up in the clinch. I wonder, that's not necessarily Hendrix's strong suit. It's you know, a lankier frame like Matt Brown, evidence that um, you could do things with it. That's not really Hendrix's frame, but I wonder if he saw something there that he could implement. Uh, someone says, uh, notably defending leg kicks. That's a great way to go forward as well. Um, but also, I think he was a little bit counterpunching. With, I mean, he was not he wasn't, but there were times when he was counterpunching where he should have been going forward. Let's see, Michelle Waterson, Luke, what would you think of her last performance, and do you think she's a star in the making? UFC is certainly pushing her that way. Um, I thought she looked great. She fought a totally outmatched uh, uh, opponent, but I am confident that she is as good as is advertised. Certainly would like to see more. She was absolutely, I mean, just abusing Tamada. Um, yeah, just, I mean, in a horrible way. But um, she's she certainly uh, she's the one that UFC is trying to spotlight. Which is interesting, like the PR effort for Invicta has basically been taken over by UFC. Like they're the ones, I don't get Invicta press releases anymore. I get, well I do I should say, but I get them from the UFC. Which is, which I think, you know, can only help them, but it's an interesting thing that's happening there. Like, I, I, I mean, Invicta basically exists to make sure that, I mean it, it exists on its own terms. I don't want to be demeaning in a way, but certainly it's impossible to separate the idea that um, they're doing their own work for their own kind of thing, and yet also to make sure that there's a healthy crop of women available to them move to the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Um, I, I suppose they're responsible for their own costs, but it's a, it's a weird spot that they're in. It's good work that they're doing, but how profitable is it? I, I have my doubts. Uh, Look in the future, if you ever take another vacation, have you ever thought about having a guest host? Absolutely not. I, I'll tell you one thing, this is my baby, <laughs> and no one's going to touch it. Sorry. Ever. Uh, let's see, UFC on Fox 13 in Phoenix, how awesome is this card for you? How could it not deliver a great night of fights? Well, any card is capable of failure or greatness. That in and of itself is not unique, but let me pull, I haven't looked up, I think it's a little JDS and uh, what you call it. Miocic, yes it is. Let's see. Um, let's see, so you have in that main event, Dos Santos Miocic, great. Obrim Shroove, that should be Interesting. Diaz, uh, Dos Angeles, amazing. Mitrion, Gonzaga, that should be short. Um, Formiga versus Moraga is good. Varner, Dober, it's okay. Brunson, Herman, it's okay. Ellenberger, Joe Ellenberger. Barbarena, Saunders, and Riggs, God, it's a Beltor fight. And then Wilson and Burchak. yeah, it's a great card. It's a great card. Let's hope it stays in place. 20. So Luke, what about this whole Feliz Herrick thing? I bet you're loving the season the antics, ha. Huh? To I think I was excited about the season. The fights will probably be good, but come on, what kind of load of trash? Your thoughts on it so far? Um, I, I'm a little bit in disagreement with everybody. I oh my wife just I'm in disagreement with everybody. First of all, I thought that the first two episodes were great number one. Everyone has, I'm as surprised as you about the um, ratings, and then again maybe not, you know, but whatever. A um, couple takeaways that I had from Fox, well, the, excuse me, Tough 20. Number one, I thought the way in which they told the story of the division was expert. I give them high marks for that. It is immediately apparent that when you have better talent, are we not noticing that the fights are much better. You got Random Marcos in the third round hitting a lateral drop on Tisha Torres. Overtime round. I almost blew out of my chair. I thought that was so ballsy. A sacrifice throw which almost failed and she got it. And she got it and used it to win the round and I had Torres pegged basically to go very far in that tournament. Moreover, structuring it like a tournament so that everyone knows who everyone is fighting this is one of those cases. This is what Bjorn Revney, I don't know that he had any influence on this necessarily, directly or indirectly, but this is what he keyed in on with tournaments. This is not happening over one day. There'll be injuries and stuff and that's problematic. But when you're trying to get something going in the beginning, settling sort of a lack of clarity there, really launching things promotionally, a tournament in mixed martial arts makes a hell of a lot of sense. And if you can do it in a structured way, and then also sort of marry some reality television with it. Boy, isn't that a little bit compelling? My wife watched the whole thing with me. She loved it from beginning to end. The fights were infinitely higher quality. I couldn't believe it. Um, I understand that, like you know, this is a very very unique season in that regard because these are the best people in the world versus wannabes who are desperately trying to make it. But you want to talk about like finally, this is the ultimate kind of this is the ultimate fight I've been waiting for. This is the tweak I've been waiting for years ago people were saying, well why can't you put on the best guys in the division and have that build for the fighter? Well now you're getting that. They're not guys, they're girls, but you're getting now now you're getting that. Now you're getting that. And um, it's a tremendously higher quality. I, I was I was blown away by that Random Marcos uh, Tisha Torres five by the reverse triangle. I thought Joanne Calderwood looked uh, a little shaky at first in her five then ultimately came alive in the end. Um, but uh, for me that random Marcos fight was tremendous. The way she passed guard in the end was phenomenal. Achieving mount, and 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 I know it was late, but finally getting to it a high mount. Um, I, you know, listen, Felice Herrick is going to do the Felice Herrick thing. For some reason, I understand why it could bother you. I don't deny it. I don't even really pay attention to it. I'm sort of like, I'm so focused on the fights that I don't even really care. It doesn't bother me at all. And moreover, I thought that the individual stories that they told it going to... Uh, I mean she's outside of Glasgow for Jordan Calderwood and going to you know American Top Team for Tisha Torres and going to uh, all these different places in Windsor Canada for random Marcus, and all these places that they went and show the stories of these people who were mothers who lived overseas who were wives who were who lived in a gym who were young women who were older women who were veterans who were white who were black I thought it was tremendous. Fox Sports 1 and the Ultimate Fighting Championship absolutely outdid themselves with that. A fantastic show so far um, maybe the antics will spoil it in the end, but I can just tell you that the level of talent, the way in which they told the story of the division, and the fights themselves, for me, this is the ultimate fighter I have been waiting for. As for the ratings, you know, you put out so many so many seasons with bad fights and forgettable reality, maybe that's why you have bad ratings. I don't know. I don't know the answers. I also think that, that Melendez and Pettis moved the needle in the way that that, that necessarily um, um, Rousey and, and Tate did. But I did see that DVR numbers for the show were really high, actually, So which is the same case, in fact, for the last season. People looked at the ratings, they were like, oh, they are like 700,000. If you looked at the plus three DVR ratings, they were consistently above 900,000 that season. for, uh, for the not, not for the last, I'm sorry, but for the Ronda Rousey um, uh, Misha Tate So So keep that in mind. But for me, this is the ultimate fighter I've been waiting for. This is what. This is why I want to watch. I. I, I don't. I can watch low-level fights if I have a personal investment. Do I know someone? Is it a teammate? Um, am I bored as hell on a Friday night? I got nothing else to do. Yes, fine. But from the from the top promoter in the sport, I do not have a tolerance or the stomach for low-level fights. I just don't. That's just me talking to you. Maybe you do. That's fine. I don't. I absolutely do not anymore. It's completely been. Extinguished. I can only stomach from the UFC good fights, and I don't mean good as in like did it turn out good. I mean, are you giving me premium product? If you're not, I'm not interested. Um, Someone says Frankie just says he has a fight. We don't know if it's against Cub or the date, but that should be on its way. Mark Hunt, title contender. Would you give Mark Hunt or much of a chance in a rematch with Barnett? Yes, I would. I didn't think Wayne Nelson's takedown attempts were all that great, but um, I would. Yes, I would. Uh, but I also would give Hunt. You know, I, I. God, what's the word? How do you say that you know Hunt is a completely different fighter, and yet you're not sold on the idea that he's top three in the division? How do you decide? I mean, what do you call him? What do you, what do you, What is the word for that? I mean, I can say those words to you, but what is, is there an encapsulating word for that gatekeeper's not right? Because that's not what he is. He's sort of in transition. Um, I don't know. I would put, I, I think Mark Hunt, Mark Hunt can beat anybody except the top two guys in the division, that being JDS and um, and Velasquez. I don't know that he will beat everyone else in the division, besides those two guys, but I think he can Um so sure, I think he can be Josh Burnett. And if he does, at that point, you give him a title shot. And I like the fact that Mark Khan sort of wants to go back and avenge a loss because he feels like he's a different fighter now because he is a different fighter now. This isn't the guy who fought in pride at all. This isn't even the guy who fought Sean McCorple. You know, this is a completely different guy. So I, 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 Mark Hunt is a warrior, man. He's a warrior. See, this is how you want, you want Mark Hunt to get a title shot. This is how you do it. You don't put a hashtag, rally for Mark Hunt. No please stop, it's just not, it's craziness. You should have a resume so good that you're like, that's the dude. And even skeptics and curmudgeonly D-bags like me say, you know what, that's the dude. And if he beats Barnett, that's the dude. Even though I know Barnett has his own issues after uh, getting walloped by Travis Brown, but I just mean beating that kind of caliber, given the state of the division, things aren't so clear, um, especially if Miochic loses, sure, man, sure. Well this is a hilarious question. The one thing that's become apparent is that Connor likes to say he will take someone's head clean off or he says he will quote decapitate his opponent. With the Islamic State videotaping themselves decapitating US and UK journalists do you think the UFC should make Connor stop talking about taking someone's head off and decapitating his opponent? I'm not going to answer that question, I just wanted to read it because it's hilarious. Uh, Iron Chin. Luke, put in order the fighters who have the best chin in their prime. Here we go. Uh, boy, that's a good one. So let's see. I would, man, that's tough. Um, in their prime. In their prime, I would say Mark Hunt, then Dan Henderson. And this is all debatable, of course. Uh, Mark Hunt, Dan Henderson, Chris Lee, and Willie Nelson. Although maybe you could substitute those two out, but I would go Hunt, Henderson. And those two are kind of interchangeable. Yeah, I'd go Hendo too, but you know, um, Hunt and Kickboxing is pretty tough. All right, true or false? Chad Mendez defeats Jose Aldo, UFC 179. Probably false. Chavez Brown will, will stop Brendan Schaub in under three minutes. Uh, did I miss something? Hold on. I'm still catching up on news. I may have missed something. Are they fighting? I apologize if I don't know that. Yeah, he is. Wow. Okay. UFC 181. So you am still catching up on news. Um, Travis Brown will stop Brendan Schaub in three minutes. False. John Jones will be the most active champion in 2015, fighting at least three times. True. Robbie Lawler becomes the first guy since 2008, aka BJ Penn, to hold a title while having more than four career losses. Ooh. False. Uriah Faber is one of the top 10 greatest fighters of all time. False. The women's strawweight division eclipses the women's bantamweight division in popularity and interest. I mean, on an infinite timeline? I mean, maybe. Tito Ortiz will stop Stephen Bonner. Believe it or not, true. Liam McGeary beats Emmanuel Newton to become Bellator light heavyweight champion. That's one of the most interesting fights Bellator can make, to be honest. Um, I don't know how I feel about McGeary's ground game, you know? I mean, I know he got that crazy reverse triangle, but... Uh, Emmanuel Newton's underrated. I'll say it's true. I don't know. I don't know, but I'll say it's true. One more true or false. Scott Coker would love to have Wanderlei level on the Bellator roster. True, of course. He won't, but he'd love to. Nate Diaz didn't get a raise in pay for taking the co-main event slot on Hako Dosanjos. Seems tr- uh, seems like it's true he didn't. Fedor eventually joins, joins Bellator. False. They can't afford him. I mean, they can, but they won't. Mark Hunt eventually wins the undisputed UFC heavyweight championship. False. UFC adds a third women's weight class in the future. True. Rich Franklin never fights again in the UFC. Uh, true. Anderson Silva doesn't throw any leg kicks when he fights Nate Diaz. Nick Diaz. I'm sorry. False. Was well, that's, that's actually a great question. Because um, he could if you if you wanted to, obviously. I'll say true. No, no, sorry. I'll say false. I'll say false. He does throw, but maybe a yeah, material one or two. And then UFC will eventually run over 100 shows per year. I'll say false, but Jesus, I never thought they'd run 50, so. What do you think of Mayweather's performance against Maidana? Also, what do you think about the boxing cold war seemingly winding down now? I don't know if i call it winding down. It's heating up in a different way, but, um, yeah, first of all, I told you that fight was going to be crap. It was. And it can't believe anybody pay for that nonsense? What a completely irrelevant fight. Like, you are talking about a guy in Mayweather who is the king of in-round adjustments. If you don't beat Mayweather the first time, your chances of beating him the second time are infinitesimally less. You're not going to win the second time when you fight Mayweather. It's not going to happen for you, Jack. It was a total no. Everyone's like, this was the first time he came close to getting defeated. Like he watched later rounds. Really, wasn't that close? He kind of figured him out by the end. I thought the Cotto fight was, and even Cotto got dropped. but I thought the Cotto fight was much closer. Like he roughed Mayweather up a little bit, you know, um, against the ropes and. A Stupid fight didn't need to be made totally non-competitive. I mean, maybe it did good numbers, but he you know, Mayweather just a complete. I mean, I respect his media hustle and what he's done for himself in his career But it's a it's a, to me. It's a phony win. It doesn't mean hardly anything I mean a phony is you beat Maidana. It's a good win, but it was a match that no one really needed to see It was a fight that didn't need to get made. He's never gonna fight Pacquiao, and you know It's just crazy. It's crazy Um, so, uh, we've already gone over MSAC and Vanderlei. Weidman pulling out of UFC 181. Luke, do you think either Weidman or Belfour benefits in particular from this postponement? I actually think that both guys benefit in a way. Um, Weidman, I believe, takes a while to get into a rhythm. And once he does, he's fine. I think the injury will allow him to do that, believe it or not. Um, and with Four I also think he'll have another chance to stay active, physically get fit, make the kind of adjustments he needs to make. So I actually think you get a better fight out of it in the end. Um, and they always talk about Wyman's camps. That was the worst camp ever, and the first two weeks were bad, the first four weeks were bad, or whatever. This is a chance for him to, to do a bunch of the work, take a break, and then do it again and correct what they didn't do right the first time. So uh, I actually think it makes it a better fight for everybody. If you've asked me whether they scared about ISIS in Turkey, y'all know that the Syrian border is on the opposite end of the country of Istanbul, right? Like, they're not even closely. They're, a, they're over a thousand miles apart. Moreover, Turkey is a U.S. ally, uh, is a modern com- uh, country with an um, industrialized military, and um, yeah, like, Istanbul has millions of tourists every year. It was fine. I felt less safe in Bogota, Colombia, and that, even that made tremendous progress I in Istanbul, Turkey. Crazy. Uh, Ray Connor's game. Connor has a multi. Conor McGregor has a multi-faceted game. List from one to six what's best of McGregor. Um. I'd go boxing one, kickboxing two. Clinch 3, top game 4, wrestling 5, guard 6. Champion suffering injuries. It's been a bad year with injuries. Pettis, Velasquez, Hendricks, Aldo, Jones, and now Weidman again. Some of them, particularly Pettis, have been scrutinized for. Should we just accept these injuries are bad luck and part of the fighting game, or are these guys training wrong and doing something else to get themselves injured? Um, I spoke to Dean Lister once, you know, and he made a point about about injuries with, with heel hooks, and he was like, you know what causes more injuries than heel hooks? Takedowns. Takedowns cause more injuries. He's like, should we ban takedowns in wrestling practice? Should we ban takedowns? And you know, preparing for a no gi tournament? No, like that's you have to do those things. And yeah, you can pull guard, but um, you know, it's really not wrestling you can't. And takedowns are part of it. You know. So the point being is, I think on some level we just have to accept the idea that the occupational hazards of elite prize fighting bring about unfortunate inability to shoot consistently have the people you want in the places you want at the times you want. It's just something you have to give up. I do think, though, that Dana White is right in the sense that um, if these guys had camps that were focused around certain fighters, as opposed to all these guys being in camp together at the same time as a way to share costs, that would be more beneficial for the long term. But that sort of presumes that they make a lot more money than they do, and money doesn't grow on trees. So it's a little bit of both. Uh, True or false? Connor will leapfrog Swanson and Edgar or a shot at the title after he beats Poirier. No. There will be two title fights between fighters from Team Alpha Male and Novo 2015. Let's say true. Daniel Cormier will get a Nike deal. No. Chandler will fight in the UFC. Um, I don't know how to answer that one. I don't know. Randy will fight again in another promotion. I'll say false. Dana will attribute the success of pay-per-view sales of 178 to Demetrius Johnson. True. Besides the flyweight champion, at least two fighters in the UFC the we'll UC 178 will fight for the title of their next fight, potentially, but probably not. There will be at least one brawl in a press conference in a way in like I don't know about brawl, but there will be some heated some words exchanged. Also, someone points out, like, uh, I think more and more people are asking why guys like Cerrone and Bendo don't get hurt as often. The Diaz bros have to be thrown in there as well. Diaz Rose have never pulled out of a fight due to injury. I think we need to accept the idea that we talk like we talk about durability as a character trait, and it's not, man. Look at guys like, for example, on the Redskins, like Jordan Reed. There, I just said the Redskins. I don't know if I'm making racist or not, but whatever the case, the Washington National Football Team, um, Jordan Reed, like a tight end, like a beast tight end. You got Niles Paul backing him up. And I know maybe you don't follow football or even even my team, but understand like the big controversy in DC is like, like Jordan Reed is this incredible guy when he's healthy, but he's always getting injured. And not the like, kind of way like RG3 had like bad things happen to him. Like a guy will just take a shot and he can't get up again. It's like, oh my God, Jordan, like again, the 72 again. I honestly believe, I truly believe this, that I don't know what the medical explanation for it is, but it's a fact of medical science to me and my brain. Anyway, that some people's body and the construction of it from the tendons to the tissue to the bones, they're just not able. I think like some people are smarter than others Um, some people have um, different genetic components that bring out certain personality traits or whatever. I think from a construction standpoint some of us are built in a way to, to to not get injured as much or to heal quicker or whatever the case may be. I truly believe that and there are some guys that just can't deal with it. In fact I think it's most people that are that way but you know, there are going to be guys who are elite athletes who can go really far and do things that will support you with their inability to stay healthy. Guys like Jordan Reed. Guys like Anthony Fettis. Strong affection for them. But other people who are doing the exact same things in training they are, or pretty similar anyway, and are having no ill effects whatsoever. That can't just be coincidence. And it can't just be training because the guys have been training for years and years with many different partners. They may have best practices on safety, but even then bad things happen. Guys twist the wrong way. Bad training partners do... Even good training partners make bad decisions, things happen and yet they never seem to have those problems. To me that is a function of the fact that they obviously make great decisions about their training environment and who they put themselves around. It also speaks to me to some fact of medical science that we're not aware of yet that affects the way in which people's, the architecture and the integrity of, of tissue and bones and sinew. I, I, I just don't know how else that can be, you can get such drastic different responses from the human experience. UFC 178 versus UFC 100, if you're even comparing the two, you just weren't around for UFC 100, at least not in the way that I was. And I wasn't even in Las Vegas. I was watching at home, man. UFC 100 was so infinitely bigger than anything else right now, even with Joe's Cormier, it's impossible to overstate. You cannot imagine how big that was. You cannot imagine. Um, 178 is not even close to what UFC 100 was. Not now, not ever. Um, which two women from Top 20 do you think will get to fight for the belt on the show? I still like Calderwood early. I don't know who else, man. I was surprised by Marcos beating Torres, so I don't know. Let's go to Twitter here real quick. Um, yes, I just picked my nose. Can Vanderlei still compete in metamorphosis if given the opportunity? Uh, yes. Yes. Um, from fight metric, UFC champions from 265 pounds to 145 pounds have as many 2014 wins for as Neil Magny. Uh, true or false? Mayweather-Pacquiao happens in 2015. I mean, absolutely false. You think Nate Diaz beats Dos Anjos? I don't think he does. I think the wrestling and the submission defense is more than enough for him to handle. Plus, he can strike his ass off now too. Jacques Ray versus Musasi card on Fox Sports 1. was wondering what you thought of that card, particularly the Kiesta stoppage and the Scoggins Moraga fight. have not seen the Scoggins Moraga fight. Uh, Kiesta stoppage was justified. Um, Scoggins, I'm still. I'm still a big believer in, and I love the small cage. People say they only like it for the smaller people. I like the small cage for all fighters. That's what you need to force action. That's what you need to um, get the kind of finishes that I think fans expect and the fight deserves, and that what we're accustomed to seeing. I think that I'll never forget that cro Eddie Sanchez fight. When cro physically could not like do anything to Sanchez, when I mean, he won the fight, they landed some kicks, but he could not figure out a way from a footwork standpoint to corner Sanchez because... The angles went from a a 90-degree angle to this wide-open spot. And Sanchez was just, and then, of course, the the diameter between the walls was uh, um, so far. You know, he was able to just walk around, literally walk around, like he was at a train station or something. Uh, And so, to me, that's always made a really, really, really big impact. Uh, Tito Ortiz says the UFC blocked Bellator from running a show at the Honda Center, formerly the Pond, in Anaheim, California. You think Tito is telling the truth? Uh, here's what I would say: um, It's not illegal for the UFC to call the Honda Center and say, "Listen, we've got a great partnership. We bring shows. We'll have to rethink that if you began to accept bids from our rivals um, or perceived rivals, anyway." And that's not illegal. That's perfectly acceptable business for them to do. UFC is known for playing hardball, so is it true? I don't know. t Diaz is going to be full of crap. I don't know. but Would that be surprising? No. Uh, Titan FC30, will you be watching? Certainly on DVR. Bigfoot's chin off TRT, do you think Bigfoot's last fight has proved that TRT improves your chin? No, I think certain punches landing in certain ways a certain velocity is affected. All the research on chins is partly about construction and partly about the neck um, and partly about the, the amount of force caused to whip the head a certain way um, or, you know, if you have them in the temple, right? But like, there, there's a biological reason why some chins are better than others. And then when they say you're born with it, again, it's not, it's not a character issue. Everyone likes to make, oh, my God, he's got a great chin. What, What, you know, what a warrior. It's like he is a warrior for many reasons, but having a great chin is largely just a function of luck. It's just a luck. Like, were you born with it or were you not? Um, now certain other forms of durability are a little bit different, but that one is just innate. And um, no, I don't think anything's changed. CRT could not possibly affect the biomechanics of that. So with this Cormier, it carried them the exact same way, which he did. Alright, let's do one more and we'll get out of here. So it says Khabib's English on UFC tonight was great. I didn't see it. Oh, last one. John Jones' Nike sponsorship. Jones said he lost his sponsorship through the brawl. Sam Kaplan recently applied on Twitter that it was more likely because of the looming UFC apparel deal. Thoughts? Well, yeah. If you're the UFC, sorry, if you're uh, Nike, are you getting any return on your investment with John Jones? And this is Nike that's stuck by Marshawn Lynch after he had a DUI, then they said Nike got sticking by Hope Solo, who may try to be innocent, but certainly embroiled in controversy. Um, they stuck by Tiger Woods, for crying out loud. You know? And I understand he's a much more popular athlete, but we also did, I mean, the scandal around him was fairly substantial. He lost a lot of other sponsors along with it, too. So um, Nike sticks by their athletes. If they didn't stick by him, it seems to me like it was a convenient excuse to let him go, because they got no return on investment. And then people say, what about Anderson Silva, what about JDS? They're still... Valuable to Nike, perhaps to break into and then further cement. I'm not breaking into, but further cement their foothold um, in Brazil. Jones doesn't offer them much in that regard, so therefore probably just let them roll, roll you know. Um, but I do. I personally believe it comes from the brawl? not not even a little bit. I mean, it may have been the uh, final impetus to make that happen, but do I think that like Nike was like totally pleased with John one day? The brawl happens the next day, they're like horrified. Not not on your life. Uh, all right. Let's see. we got to get out of here. Just want to say to everybody, thank you for watching. I certainly appreciate it. I mentioned we're going to get a better recording, better video. It's coming, so stay tuned. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave a nice review. Subscribe on Stitcher for your mobile app and on SoundCloud, whatever works for you. All the links are on the MMA Fighting post. Thank you so much. I'm back. Chat will be on next week and the week after that. The week after that. The week after that. We're back in business, guys. Thanks to you. I feel so much better after my vacation. And we're ready to do this thing. 178 coverage covering your way all weekend long. See you guys next week. Peace. Oh, stay frosted.